everybody, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Trevor. I'm here with Mark. How are you feeling today, Mark? I feel like a, a bird that flew into an Ikea. How are you feeling? Oh, shit. Uh, I feel like a bird that flew into a subway station. Okay. No, <laughs> Both I, didn't, I didn't research and have the same thing as you. I'm just piggybacking because I didn't think of a uh, feel like. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, actually a very specific and complex feeling i think a bird that's inside of an ikea it's like what the hell's going on yeah i went to one for the first time uh last weekend dude i love ikea i had never i'd never been i mean and and like this one was you know they had a lot of it closed off they had like Mm -hmm. the whole cafeteria thing was closed off and all that stuff but yeah still pretty cool i was like you're not missing out too much some people like rave about the cafeteria but it's like to me, it's like the same idea of like people who like, you know, how you like love Domino's or something, you know, something like cheap and weird. Sure. That, yeah. That's like the <laughs> IKEA cafe. <laughs> okay. I did. We did take home some uh, frozen meatballs, and those are pretty good. Yeah, that's what I'm obsessed with. The yeah, yeah. Meatballs at IKEA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think my love for IKEA is almost a reaction to the like common like meme hate of IKEA. Like, oh, it's so stupid. And I'm like, I love it in there. I just love to walk around and dream about, you know, apartments and houses. Having it set up like that, yeah. Having it set yeah, up. That's well, you can cool. do that. You know, you can, you can do just that. buy you it straight to, up. You can. You can't. You can go to IKEA and be like, this room, my house, go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I saw some of that. They were like, yeah, everything in here is however much and you can have it all. But yeah, mostly window shopped. <laughs> so the only thing that I know about your intro this week is that you told me to come prepared and alert. And I have a cup of coffee to ensure that that is the case. Nice, nice. Yeah, I had a, I had something prepared, but then I saw one thing today I just wanted to talk about first. Did you see, did you use Google today? Did you, did you see the Google Doodle today was about... Uh, Alexander Dumas. Oh, I didn't know that that was Dumas. I kind of just go. Uh, yeah, if you open Google it up right then, now, and there he is. Yeah. And they have this so little. It's uh, birthday. I don't think it's. They just. I, I couldn't see great. why the date was special at all, but they just. Oh, it's like had, a cool little slideshow. Yeah, yeah, they have something for the Count of Monte Cristo, which is cool. Yeah, the very first image is Count. Oh, it's the whole thing is the Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, yeah. It's the, Whoa, it's the whole story. Really it's a little, cool. little slideshow. Yeah, it's so awesome that to, they uh, chose just the count to do this because they could they could do three musketeers. They yeah, could do, you know. but yeah, I couldn't see why they did it as far as the day they just did it. But anyways, we're probably not going to release this today. So <laughs> go into the Google Google Doodle archive for Friday, August twenty eighth, twenty twenty. You can see it. And also so, read freaking count. Yeah, read so read the book first. Incredible. Those are definitely. No, no, no. Uh, so, yeah, I came up with something to do today. So, you know, we like to talk about and sometimes we like to read some like magic realism sort of stuff from time to time. Uh, I can't remember exactly what we may have covered, but we definitely talked about it a lot. Magical realism and then a his- hysterical non-realism or whatever that term was. Hysterical realism. Hysterical realism. So I wanted to play a magical realism game today because I came across a Twitter account that is a bot who generates 
a new magic realism scenario like every couple hours, every four hours or something. Amazing. <laughs> so it's just called Magic Realism Bot. And I'm pretty sure it just draws from nouns like Mad Libs and makes a mm -hmm. magic realism scenario. So nice. it's uh, it's at Magic Realism Bot, no spaces. And apparently it was created by at Chris Rodley, again, no spaces, and at Yeldora underscore. Uh, so yeah, give them a follow. But so what I want to do here is I'm going to read some of the ones that I've carefully selected and there may be just a premise for a whole story, or maybe they're like a scene or something, but I'm just going to read them to you and I'm going to give you a few options of how to respond. Uh, okay. so you might want to just jot the options down really quick okay, or so something like that. Okay, what are my options? So one, you can tell me what you think the name of the book should be. Okay, the name. Yeah. Uh, two, maybe just give it a rating, one out of ten. Like how how magic how magic realism is it? <laughs> how, <laughs> okay. How magic how is it? How real is it? Not? Yeah, where is it on the scale of magic to real? Okay. <laughs> uh, you can describe the book jacket or like the cover, what it would look like. Uh, you can just tell me whatever author or book or anything that it reminds you of. Maybe just that's like a basic just instant reaction or whatever it makes you think of. And then the last one would be add another layer of complexity to it. <laughs> like because you see, I'll, I'll, I'll read the first one for you and you'll see what I mean by like, you know, you can just add another thing. OK. OK, so the first one here. An Alaskan philosopher is crushed by an Olympic stadium while writing a book of poetry about rocket ships. Okay, well, first of all, there's going to be a lot of pension callouts because it just like feels like it could like everything about like crazy hysterical realism, magical realism feels like it's possible that like pension would write that. I guess the guy's kind of an encyclopedia, right? Yeah. Okay, say it one more time. I think I'm going to name it. An Alaskan philosopher is crushed by an Olympic stadium while writing a book of poetry about rocket ships. Okay, so in this like fantasy scenario, and I'm going to add some complexity here, try to come up with a name. It's like the Olympics are being hosted in Alaska. Um, <laughs> so like, and for the first time, it's like being hosted in Alaska. And what happens is like he, you know, they built it on like a false, you know, like like because of global warming, they thought it was going to be strong enough, but it oh, like, the shelf. <laughs> yeah, the shell. They thought that like the land that they were building it on was going to be strong enough, and it wasn't. So, um, you know, it's it's you know, it's called like what's it? Alaskan. <laughs> It's called like Alaskan sunset or something like that, where it's like, you know, the, the day is done. Okay. But does that happen right at the beginning or right at the end? Uh, I don't know. I think that would be the pinnacle, like the climax of it. The climax. Okay. But anyways, <laughs> so there's an example. <laughs> there's an example of the first one. I'm going to give you the second one now. A screenwriter plays a game of rock, paper, scissors with a woolly mammoth. Oh, well, the woolly mammoth. Well, first of all, woolly mammoth can't really play rock, paper, scissors. I think you need an opposable thumb of some sort. Play rock, it's ma paper, magic, scissors. though. That makes it way too magical. Way too magical, right. So on a scale of 1 to 10, that's 
Uh, that's all the way to 10 magical. Okay. What do you think the stake, <laughs> what do you think the stakes are? Uh, it's a screenwriter. Uh, so maybe the William Mammoth will, but William Mammoth will be agree to be in his movie if he wins. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for some reason, I have this image in my head that instead of them playing rock paper scissors with their hands, you know how people can like have taught elephants how to paint. Yeah. So it's like the woolly mammoth has like one of the like a paintbrush and he's like painting a hand <laughs> that is doing the scissor. That's the cover art, and it okay. feels like a it feels like a Tom Robbins type of thing. Actually, could be yeah. <laughs> something that's like you know impossible and magical and just like I don't have to. This doesn't have to make sense. I'm yeah. a good writer. All right, number three, uh, a game show host falls into a lagoon filled with cyanide. <laughs> I mean, that's that's more of just like one scene or something yeah it's like that's the end well actually here's a good question can you swim in cyanide and survive do you have to ingest it or is it just like being absorbed in your skin is enough to kill you uh i think if it was filled with cyanide you're probably toast mm. but that could be an interesting layer if you just don't ingest any of it a game show host yeah who do you picture who do you Bob picture? Parker. Oh, I was thinking <laughs> Steve Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Harvey falls into a lake of cyanide, a lagoon of cyanide. <laughs> All right, next one. A Burmese clinical psychologist runs a practice that assists homeless kangaroos. A Burmese clinical psychologist? Yeah, runs a practice that assists homeless kangaroos. All kangaroos are homeless. The only yeah. kangaroos that are homed are in zoos. So just any kangaroo, yeah. Yeah, he just he just wanders or he or she just wanders around and uh, assists kangaroos. So they're sort of like a mad mad person. I don't even think I believe in this person's degree. <laughs> Clinical psychologist. I think I would call it. Um going off the cuff out of out of pocket or like out of pouch or something like that. Ooh, out of pouch. That's good. And then the replies to that are all the good distressed animal TV charities were taken and then kangaroo homelessness is a real problem. So yes. there's another thing people uh reply to all these and fave and retweet the <laughs> the crazier ones. All right, next one. Microsoft is developing a tiny crystal that can destroy all life on earth. Microsoft is okay. Um, that's a one on the scale of one to ten because it's probably that's probably true. There's like a there's like another Microsoft bot watching that tweet, being like, the moment they decide they figure out that it's real, there's going to be chaos. Yeah. Um, it's a subscription service, so you have to. Honestly, that sounds like have you. <laughs> there's like haven't I told a talked on the podcast before about the Dan Brown book Digital Fortress. I think so. And it's like so ridiculous. That sounds like the plot of like one of the techno techno, you know, forward Dan Brown books where it's like Microsoft is doing this thing. What do, you <laughs> do it's Dan Brown. <laughs> it's called uh, Clippy's Revenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can see the cover art too. It's like Dan Brown and Bold and like this like, you know, 
crystal gem blue thing in the middle, kind of out of context, but inside of like this techno machine. Okay. <laughs> and in the reflection, just in subtly in the reflection of the gem, you can see the Microsoft Windows like logo, just like very subtly. Oh shit. I got another. There's another Microsoft related one next. A South African shopkeeper has a rare gift. She can smell PowerPoint. She can smell PowerPoint. Yeah. Hmm. Gotta check the replies to this one. The cover art would be like a like on the book. It would look like you're in PowerPoint, and then it would be like the clip art of like a nose or something like that yeah <laughs> what are the replies uh someone just said it smells like updog wow yeah <laughs> there there is a prussian reality tv show in which the aim is to be as mediocre as possible hmm. that doesn't seem too magical yeah, someone, someone said, this is, again, this is realism, not magic realism. <laughs> right, yeah, it's realism. So what? That's the aim of all reality TV shows. Mediocre as possible. That's what they said. Uh, an ambitious sculptor buys a pair of spectacles which let him see every pirate ship on Earth. Ooh, so here's my question. Is that uh period piece or is it today because you know how they label like the news media will label things as like like ships as pirates and stuff like that oh yeah so it's like could that be modern or or would it be something from like you know a long time ago i don't even know what are the like the proper years to reference like legitimate pirates like you put them <laughs> in your head not when, sure. when when were those? Because I, I was about to say like 1600 and I was like, I'm probably way off. Man, I, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe earlier or later or earlier. So the name of that definitely has something to do with like, you know, how pirates have like a spyglass, like that mm -hmm. like thing. It's called like spy glasses or something. There you go. <laughs> Could be, yeah, it could be an old uh, period piece. All right, a, a supermarket made of Mondays appears in Prague. Well, that's just the bot fucking up. Yeah. A supermarket one. made of Mondays? Mm -hmm. Everything on the shelf is just horrible things like spilled milk and you're late for work and all that. Yeah, another Garfield, uh, Garfield <laughs> a, a whole Garfield <laughs> store. <laughs> Uh, an arrogant angel decrees that everyone must start thinking of the color gray. Oh, that sounds like something that would be in that, uh, that remember there's that you covered that guy who wrote the book lamb. Christopher, yeah. Christopher Moore. Christopher Moore. Yeah. That sounds like something he would write. <laughs> An arrogant angel. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Sort of biblical, but ridiculous. Yeah. I could see that. Uh, a Macedonian dentist invents a new theory of color based on the movement of cobras. That one's dense. Uh, yeah, that one is dense. That that also sounds like a sort of like a pension subplot. Why does it matter that he's Macedonian? I don't know. <laughs> is, is the dental technique different in Macedonia? That's the whole uh, 
like Mad Libs aspect of this bot. Here's one, a, a child sneezes in that time he lives for 18 years as a sentient mirror. Whoa, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm grooving on the whole idea of what it sounds like. But to me, that sounds like Proust mixed with like Arthur C. Clarke or something. It's like <laughs> I gently sneezed. And I, and how long did he live? About 18 years. 18 years. It's like I gently sneezed at my mother's bedside. And, and here's my 6,000 page novel about that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In, in one moment. Yeah. That's uh, awesome, dude. I would read that. <laughs> a sentient, sentient mirror is like, that's pretty. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, what's funny wild. Talking about weird mirrors is have you seen the evil dead? The original? Uh, yes. The evil dead. So rewatch that, um, over G chat, like, uh, me and some friends like got together, like via, you know, like a zoom call basically. Yeah. And we watched the evil dead together with our wives because they had, neither of them had seen it for the first time. You might not remember it, but my favorite part of that movie is he like goes to touch the mirror towards the end and it's like a pool of water, but you don't know it until he touches it. And it's very surreal and cool. It's like way better than any other. Yeah, I don't remember that. Or part of the movie. Like everything else is like B movie. And then that part is like, whoa, that's really cool. So that's what <laughs> Mirror makes me think of. Nice. Yeah, I should rewatch that anyways. Uh, a belt causes anyone who wears it to turn into a knife. I don't know how that I mean, one works. Again, like that's like a one scene type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you turn into a knife. Although, although, again, going back to the whole Tom Robbins uh, hysterical realism, is that, you know, skinny legs and all, they're, they're like one of the main characters is a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the title of that one uh, is Sharp Dressed Man, for sure. Oh, damn. Um, Did you and, think of that beforehand? Did you yeah, write yeah. that? Yeah, I, I wrote <laughs> sure, that one. Man. It's still good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh, all right, last one, last one here. So there is a tornado in Mecca, and it sucks up stock photographs. Okay. So, so all this, of Getty images in, and PowerPoint yeah, clip if art. Yeah, it was 2020. It's just sucking up hard drives. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. Stock images. Um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, keep it. Um, check it out though. It's Magic Realism Bot. They have like 20,000 of these because they make them every couple hours. Yeah, it's really cool. You can just flip through. I wonder yeah. if anyone has done, you know how there's like a whole community online in various different places of like posting writing prompts? Mm -hmm. I wonder if anyone has ever done a prompt off that magical realism bot. Possibly. I wonder what their most popular I mean, one is. The kid sneezing for 18 years is like, I'm ready. I'm yeah, <laughs> I know that one's sick. I'm ready for that to be my favorite book. <laughs> Also, just being, you know, a stuck-up loser at parties or whatever. My favorite book is about a child who sneezes for 18 years. <laughs> you wouldn't 17. understand. You wouldn't. You wouldn't get it. You have to read it twice and backwards. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, yeah, that's all. Make sure you tweet about that. I'll we're definitely say that. We're going to tweet something, but that—that's a crucial one. Yeah. Um. 
All right, so we predetermined through our very responsible mode of scheduling that I am going first, correct? Yeah. All right. I'm excited to go first this time um, because I feel like I almost feel like my last episode, I covered the big sleep in the last episode, right? Yep. So that was clearly a filler episode for me because I like, you know, everything that's going on in the country right now, not to, not to take the podcast into a political zone, but everything that's been going on, you know, I feel like I didn't read fast enough, but the big sleep was my filler episode because as soon as everything had started happening with all these protests and all this horrible racially charged violence in the U.S. swinging back once again, um, I started reading, and I'm just going to dive right into it, um, I started reading Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Do you know this book? Uh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's yeah, like quite a, big, a few times. Yeah, it's a, it's a big book. It's kind of like everywhere. I have a few interesting things to say about this book just physically, like right off of the bat, um, because, you know, when all this crazy stuff is happening in the news and in the U.S. and everything, it was like, OK, obviously I want to read a black author. I want to like cover, you know, whatever. And this has been sitting on myself for a while. Um, but just something actually literally physical about this book and something that I think is maybe interesting about the public industry in general is, you know, one of the reasons why I feel like I was delayed in finishing this book within one week is because it's actually like 600 pages long. <laughs> um, it is, you know, 500, yeah, it's like 590, 580 something or whatever. And I almost feel like sometimes the publishing industry, I feel like dupes us in a way because you have a book, like probably the one that I read most recently that was like of a grand physical size was called, was that book the Knicks, you know, that yeah. and I just started like immediately off the bat, just thinking about this book and I'll get into how it makes you think about stereotypes and, and all these different things and, and why it was a powerful book to be reading right now. But even within the publishing industry and like the way that we read and the way that these things come together, I was sort of like, I picked up this book, started reading it, then realized I wasn't going to finish it in a week because it's 600 pages. And I thought to myself, like, and this is just the way of thinking in the U.S. right now. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's like if this book was published by X, then it would have been printed differently to look epic. Yeah, you, you know, I, I could see like, that. Like there's like this book, Americana, it's 600 pages. It's like this epic about this two people who grew up in Nigeria and they get separated by coming to America in their own different ways. And, and, you know, it's the story of, you know, how they, you know, will they, won't they get back together and the history of their relationships and how their blackness, you know, affects their lives and everything. But at the same time, I was like, you know, if this was published by, if this was made by a different author, not a black woman, I think that they would have maybe up to the print size, up to the margin size, made it super thick and been like, only geniuses read this. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I could see how, like, the, I don't know where they decide those sort of things, who they like, right. whatever, think about, oh, who's, who's our target audience? Like who, like, right. how do we want to present this or whatever? But I could totally see, 
even sometimes the same book, they'll have different prints of it that have different, yeah, it has a different impression to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that, that was one strange. thing. That was one thing about the book that I just immediately right off the bat, I was like, this is this is interesting because it, it's it's really longer than it than it seems physically um, to get into the actual book itself. Americana, it's definitely autobiographical. I didn't do too much deep research into Chimamanda. I know I'm butchering her name, by the way. I'm, I haven't even heard it out loud, but she in a way, you know, she's like another sort of like ultra educated, but from a different angle kind of thing where it's like, it's not a surprise that this is like a national bestseller and that people would get behind her. And like, this is like a huge, like this book is like everywhere. I've seen it lots of different places. very popular um, when it first came out. Um, She grew up in Nigeria. She is from a like class, like a, like a, like subsect of Nigerian culture called Igbo, which is like in South Western or Southeastern, I don't even know, Nigeria. And then she eventually comes to America and studies at like six different universities, including, which this is kind of interesting because I also went there, including Eastern Connecticut State University. She has a degree, bachelor's degree oh, from wow. ECSU, which is really <laughs> crazy. When I was reading her Wikipedia, I was like, what the fuck? But then she goes on to, you know, become 10 billion times smarter than me and gets her master's degree at Yale. Then she is, you know, has a fellowship at Princeton and all these other crazy things. So she is, um, you know, super ultra crazy educated. I don't like, uh, you know, like I said, you know, putting this all within the like historical context of, country and what's going on right now and why am I reading this author I don't want to be too you know white guy and be like the way that she you know is a like the author that she is and the you know education that she had maybe she reminds me of the only other black woman who I've read intensely which is Zadie Smith um but in a way that like it, it kind of reminded me of that just like this hyper educated very like academic like writer, but she's nowhere near that like uh, hyper or that realism. The whatever it's yeah, called. hysterical realism. Hysterical realism. No, totally she's different like, genre. Yeah, yeah, she's actual realism. So everything in Americana is not like over the top. It's it's very autobiographical. Like I said, as I started researching her, I was like, oh, okay, that's from the book. So the two main characters of Americana are. Um, Ifemalu, which is she's like basically the main character and kind of a stand-in for Chimamanda, the author herself, and Obinze, which is her like ex-boyfriend from back in Nigeria. And it's the type of book where it switches chapters. Like it's like one chapter is not really chapters, it switches parts. So it's like one part is her, one part is him, one part is her, one part is him. They are both like really successful like people in their own right of like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, grow up out of Nigeria and then come to America or, oh, I'm gonna stay behind in Nigeria and like overcome, you know, basically in a lot of ways, they're sort of like overcoming something that, you know, what's really interesting about this book too is that I feel like I've read so, okay, so it was an awesome book to read at like this point in history because I feel like she has this way, like, okay, I've read like Paul Beattie, right? I've read Zadie Smith and it doesn't feel like the characters are token characters or like, or I wasn't really like thinking about race, like in any way, maybe it's the times, maybe it's the book itself, but I definitely like found myself with this like interesting kind of 
perspective on the characters where I was almost waiting for them to be like the token black characters that I was going like, oh, like this is the first scene with like a black character and then we're going to move on. Like it was very like I found that like prejudice like in my reading where I was like, oh, someone named, you know, uh, Ephemalu is like not going to be the main character. And then I was like, no, of course she is. Like she's the main character throughout the whole yeah. book. Like that's like fucked up how that's like in my brain anyway. So, you know, overcoming boundaries like in that way of, of reading a book, like, you know, and, and what's stupid too is like, I, you know, you want to say like, oh, I read a book that I normally wouldn't read, but that's not even true. Like this isn't like some deep book that I like did hardcore research to find an African author. It's like, she's probably one of the most famous African authors at the moment. Um, yeah. We can, we can do a lot better at branching out from like. Yeah. Our white guy reading. Yeah. Guys like the English authors <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, another old, thing that was like really UK interesting, author. I mean, just this whole book like is surrounded in like that sort of like attitude too. like when I went to Wikipedia and I'm saying like, I don't know why I felt like, Oh, these are like the token black characters are going to get skipped over. I don't know if that was the flavor of her writing or maybe she's so good. Like, first of all, let's just say right off the bat, like there's a reason that this is famous. She's like a really fucking good author. There's a lot of insights both into like white people, black people, men, women, like all these different things that are like crazy interesting. She wrote a few things about the main character, Obinze, the main male character, where I was like, holy shit, like I can't believe a woman wrote that because it's so like in the male voice and like very, very interesting. Um, so she's an incredible writer. Let's put, like get that out of the way. But another thing that, you know, even researching the, the book itself, I'm going along and the first thing in her Wikipedia is – she was described in the Times Literary Supplement as the most prominent of a procession of critically acclaimed young Anglophone authors who is succeeding in attracting a new generation of readers to African literature. I was like, I don't even know what Anglophone means. So I go and look that up and it means English speaking. And I was like, oh, so she's like writing in English and not translating from Nigerian or like not being translated from any other dialect or like, you know, thing from Africa. And I'm like, that's interesting. That's like an interesting thing. Like, Oh, this person, you know, she, she writes in English so we can publish her, but just don't make her 600 page book look like she's not too smart. Um, I don't know. There's like all these like stereotypes and things flying around, but I should honestly just talk about the book itself. Cause it's so fucking good and addictive and stuff like that. So you know, these characters, they grow up in Nigeria. And honestly, it's another uh, another thing like that, like a stereotype that came through in my mind is like, I'm waiting to hear that like Nigeria, like isn't super nice, right? Like I'm supposed to be like, I'm reading this and being like imagining Nigeria as like some horrible place. But it like the when they come from it and like what she's describing and stuff, it's like when she gets to Baltimore in the book in America and stuff like that, she's like, I miss Nigeria because it was actually clean and nice. You know, she like grew up going to these schools and these universities where they like had uniforms and it was like super nice. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the typical story of like, I think we want to be like, oh, she comes from Africa. So like X is true. Whereas this whole book is about like breaking that down and being like, uh, actually like none of that is true. And, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff. One of the like main turning points in the book and this is literal language from the book too, is that she's the main character of Femalu starts talking about how she never was considered black until she came to America. Mm -hmm. Well, because yeah, Nigeria's 
if I remember, Nigeria is the wealthiest African country, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know any like facts about that or anything, but it's like it, it was sort of like interesting. So and then Ephemelu, the character herself, is also a blogger. Uh, and this came out in, I think, like 2013 or something like that, where. Um, yeah, let me just double check. Yeah, 2013. Um, oh, shit. This is in development on, at HBO. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. so really? Eventually, it's going to be eventually it's going to be a show. You don't have to cool. listen to me. You just You're ahead of, the, to, ahead of the curve then. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's going to have Lapita Nyong'o in it, which is that's psychotic, too. Anyway, right. um, she, speaking of random, you were saying uh, this author, she went to uh, ECSU. Lapita Nyong'o mm-hmm. went to uh, Hampshire College, right? near my place in uh, Western Mass. There you go. Uh, so connections, I don't know, yeah. it's a small <laughs> um, I don't know where my train of thought was, but you're, I- You were going more into the plot. Uh, okay. Um, no, I mean, Ephemelu is a blogger as well, which is like in 2013, that was like maybe like the new hot thing. Like she's like this blogger within the context of the book. And she writes like a, a blog that's called something really cool. Like it's called um, Observations About American Blacks by a Non-American Black. <laughs> so it's like, you know, her just kind of being like giving advice. And, and there's also a lot of really cool stuff in this book about um, – uh, African hair, like the, like the first scene starts with her going to the hair salon and it says something like crazy, like, oh, she, like she goes there and it's like, she's going to be there for six hours. Cause that's how long it takes. And it's like, we don't know that shit. Like we have no idea like what people like go through to like take care of their hair and like all this other stuff. Um, so that's like an angle within the book that comes up several times. Another really, like, I almost wish that this book, and I'm sure now that I've read her and I really enjoy this book, I'll probably be looking out for a book that she writes post-Trump. <laughs> um, because another really cool aspect of this book was it's published in 2013, and there are like full chapters and um, relationships between characters that are observations on Obama's rise like in his campaign Mm -hmm. so there's like whole chapters where it's like about how like her and her boyfriend were sort of like on the out like uh we're like not really getting along and then it's like but then obama was like you know uh he was the democratic nominee and it's like that changes their relationship and like their relationship to like blackness and everything because she's dating an african-american guy and she's african and it's like Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how like this like cultural movement pulls people together and you know, I was reading this. I, I think that's the way of the world now, too, though. Like, have you found yourself reading and been like, uh, you know, there was a scene where everyone was like waiting for the train. And I was like, that shit doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, which is like kind of scary. Like it's kind of yep. scary, you know. So it's like it's like that whole context was like really awesome. But then I'm like, oh, I want to hear if anything, this whole like pandemic and this whole coronavirus thing is like where I'm going to want like so much freshness for people, you know, I'm so used to reaching back into the past and like, it's okay to read a book from, you know, whenever, but even this book from 2013, I was like, Oh yeah, they're all going to a classroom together. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're you post, know, post gathering. Post gathering. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I have a lot of good things to say about this. I don't think I deep dive too much into the book. I wouldn't want to give it away because it is like, like a kind of book that you want, you are reading kind of for like the events just transpire and everything. It was awesome. I mean, I can't say like, Oh my God, like my most favorite, favorite book ever. There were parts where it was like dragging like a little bit and there was like, you know, there were like little parts here and there, but for the most part, it was just 
really cool and and she's a great writer and, and, and it keeps going forward like there were a few characters thrown in there where I was like I don't need like another character like you know blah 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 but then the flip side of that is like that's bullshit dude because you read I read all these like crazy hyper realism hysterical realism books that have like a dozen billion characters so it's just like a really strong book it's really cool as you can tell from like the way I was thinking about it I was thinking about it outside of the novel itself like sure like these characters keep going forward and she has a lot of interesting things to say but also it's like sort of like a life-opening book about like wow like this could be true and that could be true and all these other things like even how like well-traveled I have become in the last few years, there's just so much more to learn. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, pick up Americana and I didn't look up a one star review, but I don't really want to. They're always, the, they're all the same. <laughs> I can predict <laughs> I one for this. I, I don't really want to disparage this book. Um, so I can, yeah, I, <laughs> check, it out, check it out. You can predict one, maybe a uh, uh, user, uh, Jason H or whatever said, <laughs> Man, like I didn't didn't finish. I gave up. Uh, it was, uh, it like was it. way longer than it seemed. Yeah, <laughs> longer than when it I seemed. That's a good one. So, do you think it's gonna make a good uh, series? Yeah, yeah, it probably will. But again, maybe like you know, the book nerd in me always saying, you know, it's not. It wasn't as good as the book. Like it has a lot of potential to not be that great because I felt like the best, like the strongest parts were about um about her observations you know like cool little things that she yeah says. you can't really capture that unless they just have the like voiceover <laughs> yeah, sometimes, yeah. They, sometimes they can get away with doing that you know when they take something from a book just straight up read it just, yeah, just, just read, read parts of it with some cool stuff to look at that's yeah. And That's then just good. put like put like a little thing in the corner that says like I used on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean Americana, check it out. It'll flip your perspective on a few things, and it's like a good thing to read right now. You know, that's what I'm saying. I felt like a loser when I was doing the big sleep because I was like, oh, it's like about a white guy, right at like during all this civil unrest. But this is my this is my humble sort of trying to calm down and, and think of things differently. And I think that she, she took me there. So nice. I went, uh, I went kind of the same direction. I think, you know, you're going to like this though, but so I can't exactly intro this as I usually would, mm -hmm. but, uh, I decided to mix it up this week and do a first for the podcast, which is to read something that you covered in an earlier episode. Uh, nice. I've been um, waiting to flip that on you like a few times. <laughs> I actually have, a, I've ordered a few books because of the podcast. So nice. just, I've been waiting to drop it. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is from a much earlier episode. Can you uh, take a guess? I got some clues. Well, if, after if you said first. you went, if you said you went to the same vein, I'm pretty sure I almost know what it is. Man Booker prize winner. First, uh, first American. You went, you said his name like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you read something by Beatty, Paul Beatty. Yeah, um, I finally did. Uh, I read the sellout because you yeah. told Oof. me all, all about it in episode two or three. One of those. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, it's like the second one or the third one or something. Oh my god, dude, the sellout! Like, is your mind fucking blown right now? Yeah, it was great. And <laughs> yeah, first, first, I gotta say, you were absolutely right recommending this. You know, all the praise that you you 
have given it uh, not just an episode two, probably. I know it's one thing that it's a book that comes up mm-hmm. a fair amount. And yeah, I mean, what a just densely hilarious, profound and just shocking and truthful book. Um, and I guess I guess let's first talk about how satisfying it is for you right now, because you recommended a book to someone and then they actually read it. <laughs> so yeah. that's pretty rare. That is good. That's rare. I mean, that's kind of like one of the things about how this whole podcast started, right? It was like, we'll actually take, you know, our each other's recommendations seriously and like actually do it. Because like, that's another thing about like, why do the podcast in general is like, because the actual book conversation is a rare one. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, recommending it and then having it actually be read by someone. That's one of the most unfulfilled like lending, <laughs> borrowing, recommending things like in life, other than maybe advice, like right. <laughs> advice is the other thing that people don't take uh, when it's offered. But anyways, The Sellout, uh, it's a 2015 novel. I don't know why I assumed it was older when I remembered you talking about it. So, but 2015 novel by Paul Beatty in which an African-American farmer in a section of Los Angeles that's called Dickens that was, you know, never modernized. So it's still like rural farmland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this guy who goes just by the name of me, uh, he's involved in a sort of indirect way to bring back slavery and segregation into his neighborhood. It's mm-hmm. like a just total backwards um, <laughs> yep. thinking. And it's just this massive, massive satirical masterpiece. Mm-hmm. But it's not uh, actually, it's not physically. No, it doesn't, like exactly what you said. It's a few hundred pages. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, massive and like, it's just really dense as far as I was never bored. Right. Oh, God. So, so I'm going to plagiarize a little bit right now, but I'm going to plagiarize from you. <laughs> I went back and I listened to episode two. Uh, so these are your words. And I, I included, I, I uh, transcribed it. And I included every like. So you re- you ready for this? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm ready for it. Thank you very much for including every single like. Yeah, this book, The Sellout, is a really like every single quote that you see out there online or in the news or in your reviews will call it a satire. And it is. It's a satire. It's like when I start talking about the plot, you're going to be like, how is that even possible? It's just a mind bending book. But basically, a, a lot of people will say it's satire, but he's not really that satirical. He talks about a lot of stuff that you're going to feel is amped up from the news or something like that. You're almost going to feel like truth is stranger than fiction. So since it's fiction, you're reading some fantasy story. But a lot of the stuff that he drops in his novels is super real. It's almost like journalism in a way. In The White Boy Shuffle from 1996, he talks about the L.A. riots and you read this stuff that's so bizarre because of his writing style. It feels almost like fantasy, almost like Pynchon. He gets compared to Pynchon quite often because... Pynchon has that thing where you think he made it up because he's so inventive, but he didn't make it up. Mm-hmm. So that, that was what you said. <laughs> wow, that's a smart young gentleman right there. I, can, <laughs> I completely agree with everything that that man just said. <laughs> I just wanted to do that to mess with you. But I agree with you there. Uh, like, and, and I was armed with that knowledge before I started reading. I knew that, you know, I'm going to come across these things that are hyper real taken from the news and thrown into this story and you're going to be like what did that actually happen and you know is this uh how did he make this up but he didn't he just you know 
was able to describe it and throw it into his story and, you know, give it new context. And it's just insane to read. Mm-hmm. So in, in, I read a lot of, re- a lot of other reviews of this book too, just to kind of wrap my head around it after I finished it. And what's like, you know, what mentioned, what's mentioned a lot to this is that it puts a, like a satirical spotlight on just every, just about every, every taboo you can think of, every stereotype you can think of that you've ever heard. And it's just both funny and just horrifying at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's humor, but it's humor with like this justified anger and frustration, like right underneath it. And you can just feel that from him. And it's just super well-written is crazy funny and just a a lot to say. Don't you, it it feels like you could like hopeless, I mean, you know, person, uh, someone in person is different from how they write, but the way Beatty writes, I feel like, like winning an argument with him would be like insurmountable. Yeah. (laughs) He seems like an intense guy (laughs) and just whip smart and like ridiculous. Uh, So I just wanted to read this section right here. Um, uh, It's from early on in the book or whatever, but you won't find Dickens, California on the map because about five years after my father died and a year after I graduated college too, it perished. Yeah, it too perished. There was no loud send off. Dickens didn't go out with a bang like Nagasaki, Sodom and Gomorrah and my dad. It was quietly removed like those towns that vanished from maps of the Soviet Union during the Cold War, atomic accident by atomic accident. But the city of Dickens' appearance, disappearance was no accident. It was part of a blatant conspiracy by the surrounding, increasingly affluent two-car garage communities to keep their property values up and blood pressures down. When the housing boom hit in the early part of the century, many moderate-income neighborhoods in Los Angeles County underwent real estate makeovers. Once pleasant working-class enclaves became rife with fake tits and fake graduation and crime rates, hair and tree transplants, lipo and colosuctions, in the wee hours of the night after the community boards homeowner associations and real estate moguls banded together and coined descriptive names for nondescript neighborhoods. Someone would bolt a large glittery Mediterranean blue sign high up on a telephone pole. And when the fog lifted, the residents of the soon to be gentrified blocks awoke to find out they lived in Crestview, La Cienega Heights or Westdale. Even though there weren't any topographical features like crest views, heights or dales to be found within 10 miles. Nowadays, Angelinos who used to see themselves as denizens of the West, East, and South sides wage protracted legal battles over whether their two-bedroom, charming country cottages reside within the confines of Beverly Wood or Beverly Wood adjacent. Dickens underwent a different type of transition. One clear South Central morning, we awoke to find that the city hadn't been renamed, but the signs that said a welcome to the city of Dickens were gone. There was never an official announcement, an article in the paper, or a feature on the evening news. No one cared. In a way, most Dickensians were relieved to not be from anywhere. It saved them the embarrassment of having to answer the small talk, where are you from, question, with Dickens, then watching the person apologetically back away from you. Sorry about that. Don't kill me. <laughs> so yeah, that, he's... yeah, the, the, so the narrator's goal ends up becoming getting the town of Dickens back on the map. But obviously the way he goes about that is to like try and just send 
the, their town backwards as far as segregating the schools and, you know, um, bringing back uh, slavery, I guess, in a way. And then like you, like you mentioned, and I guess one thing that I, I, when I went back and, or when I was thinking about you or the first time you covered it, I thought that the uh, Supreme court kind of um, storyline was going to be most of the story, but it's kind of mm-hmm. just the bookends. Yeah. It's like and the like, beginning and the end. Yeah. 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 I, that, so that, that changed the way that I thought about this book when I actually read it. I thought that it was going to be way more about that, but it ended up being, you know, the story of kind of his upbringing, which is ugh, the the worst parenting <laughs> in any book I've ever read. Yeah, I don't remember. You were, you're going to remember more clearly than me, but it's like his dad did like psychological experiments on him, right? Yeah, yeah. His dad just aimed to, you know, mess him up, the mess up, the way he thought and everything. And, um, but yeah, uh, it's that, that part was, uh, rough and, (laughs) but also, you know, he still managed to make parts of that very funny and very like mind bending as far as what he's describing and, uh, how he, you know, talks about this area. Um, actually what, (laughs) so speaking of that, like random, areas of los angeles because that's where you are right now what what part are you in (laughs) well it's funny that you like bring that up because as you were reading it i was like oh i might even understand like some of his books like a little bit better now that i live in the actual place so it's like maybe inspiring me to to read it again but i'm in east la in and i live in an area called el sereno right now i'm in like a little like area called frog town (laughs) Um, not a frog to be found not a frog to be found no um but yeah i mean it's totally like he's on the money with the idea you know it's it's just like every other sort of you know new york gets gentrified by carving up these neighborhoods and naming them different things and you know establishing you know real estate boundaries that like kick pete like you know obviously racially divided and stuff like that it's happened in many cities like all over the world um, but yeah, LA is no different, but yeah, it's like exactly what you're talking about where it's like, you know, Oh, like whatever Montecito Heights. And it's like, I don't <laughs> really know what that means, but sure. <laughs> there's no identity to it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, then, you know, his, he wants to get it Dickens back on the map and just, even just the visual of that, like having a part of LA where it's like farmland <laughs> and the, well, I, I couldn't remember that me- first. The first part when he talks about Dickens, like um, he's describing it as, you know, uh, just run down pe- like front porches and all sorts of stuff and like dirt roads and all that. And Remind people on horseback. If, uh, honestly, that is like I could see that being possible in L.A. just because L.A. is a weird place where you can like take one turn and be like, why is there like no road here? Like, <laughs> Honestly, f- honestly feel like that is more possible. Like I said, like, like you quoted me from the beginning, like <laughs> actually not unrealistic. Like it's like I could now that I live here, I could see that happening. But also like remind me if this happened in White Boy Shuffle or if it happened in the sellout. But is there like a thing where he's talking about the L.A. riots and how he saw like a guy on horseback? Uh, I don't think that's in the book. That's something I think that you took about. And that was, that's actually from White Boy Shuffle, the earlier book. 
Yeah, because what's weird is that that is like that's another one of those things. It's like that's not that fanciful. There's this like group of people called the Compton Cowboys, which like even in the most recent you know civil rights protests here in LA for Black Lives Matter, it's like there are people on horseback who are like black cowboys. They're called like the Compton Cowboys, and they just come to <laughs> they you know, like ride around on horses like you know, it's it's like a thing that happens. <laughs> so it's like, it's not like, like I said, it's just not that like, oh my God, this was, there's no way that this could be true. Yeah. It's just that the way he writes it and how he comes from such a different like background and perspective from you that it's like, it's, you know, you think it's fictional, but it's not. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, this book was just mind blowing, but I wanted to say, uh, I think my last thing I wanted to comment on it was that it was a brilliant satire, but not really a satire. And it's just laughing at the concept of the post-racial America and just the thoughts within it are extremely relevant today. Yeah, how many times, like, this is probably the book that you've read most recently that made you laugh this hard. Yeah, it, it was, it's very funny, but also like, just uh, extremely powerful at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I did find a one-star review for this one. Uh, oh. So we got one from Jay. And he says, really had a hard time getting through this book. Maybe I'm just sick of identity politics, but this book at this moment seemed more pedantic than satirical, myopic than erudite. In one way, it reminded me of Infinite Jest, which I also had a hard time with. If the characters and plot seem like a one-dimensional front to allow the author to showcase his own brilliant mind, it just seems staged to me. I prefer novels with a concrete plot, relatable and multidimensional characters, and a philosophical stance that allows you to think for yourself rather than be force-fed redundancies ad infinitum. Uh, and so all I have to say in response to that is, boo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jay, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I found it. I found it rather myopic. More myopic than erudite, for sure. Uh, actually, I think it was more erudite than myopic. Right. On a scale of, <laughs> on a scale of erudite to myopic. <laughs> and it, it, I, don't, I don't think it had anything to do or any similarities with Infinite Jest. Very no. different books. Very different. <laughs> Extremely different. Uh, but yeah, it was awesome. Definitely look forward to reading more Beatty. Yeah, he's incredible. And it's so easy too, right? It's like he's Yeah, it was a breeze. Like, yeah, he's he's amazing. He got Very me back succinct. on uh I'm back reading yeah, back uh, on track. quicker again. Yeah, yeah, back on track for sure. <laughs> awesome. So anyways, thanks again for listening. This has been another episode of Shitty Book Reports. Uh you can find us every week, every once in a while on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Instagram, and Twitter. At SBR the podcast, uh, I'll be putting up that magic realism bot once we post this. You can also email us at sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your comments, suggestions, corrections, whatever you're feeling. And uh, see you next time. See you.